This is Continua. We're guided by music and grounded in science. Journey with us as we explore the intersection of music and health. We're diving into discussions with professionals and creatives. We're sharing information and giving you conversations to motivate you along your health journey. I'm Chloe Livray. I'm Aliyah Abdullah. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The Continua, Continua Podcast. So did, did some of the old gyms that were in there do anything for you? Like like Saturday, were you feeling Saturday love? If he if we if we pull in some Gap Band, some Earth Wind and Fire, a Tribe Called Quest, a, a Tribe Called Quest. Okay, Tara Tara's on. So before we before we uh, get Tara on on the call here, hi guys. <laughs> yes, hi. Welcome to the Continual Podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome. Um, Aaliyah. Yes. What's up? <laughs> what What isn't? <laughs> For real. <laughs> really isn't. Um, what isn't up? Yeah, we are glad that you guys are continuously subscribing and listening to our podcasts with our variety of different guests. Um, what isn't up is Chloe and I are juggling a ton. Yes, we are. We are. We, we are clowns at a circus. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> We're, we're hustling on this entrepreneurial journey, so we are very grateful for all the love and support that we get. It is one of a kind. There's dips, and we're learning to celebrate all wins, small ones included. Mm -hmm. Especially the small ones. <laughs> right. And um, finessing technology is what we're working on now. <laughs> we, we pivoted, um, and we're learning as we grow. What's up? What's up with you? Yes. A lot. A lot. Um, yeah. Like Aaliyah said, we're just, yeah, we're juggling a lot. Yeah. With Continua. And then, yeah, I still have a whole other job <laughs> to pay the bill. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but we are grinding yeah. and going and we are just In this pumped. together. Yeah. We're in this together. We're pumped for the future. Yep. And we know it's all going to pay off. So. It is. Keep going. Yep. Keep going. Before we pull our next guest in, just want to say, proud of you, Chloe. Oh, thanks, sis. You're welcome. I'm proud of you, too. Thank you. So, Let's Aaliyah, bring her out. today we have the beautiful inside and out Tara Kelly. And Tara is a folk Americana singer-songwriter. And she's putting a new spin on the cosmic country of Casey Musgraves. 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 Clearly, I listen to country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a real country fan. Um, Casey Musgraves and Emmy Lou Harris with a songwriting style that evokes a darker, more mysterious edge. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, yay. I can hear you. <laughs> you guys hear me? Yes. yes. Oh, my God. You look so cute. <laughs> I love. Thank you. Look at your little hat. Oh my god, you're yes. so sweet. This is this is quarantine chic right now. <laughs> I'm like, no, you no, not, not even quarantine chic. Um, you look so cute, and yes. your hair, yes, your hair looks so great. on point. Oh my, god. my gosh, <laughs> I remember when quarantine first started. My roommate was like, "Why are you curling your hair?" And I was like, "For me." No. There we yes. go. Yes. yes, snaps for that. And it no always else should be, this. no yeah. matter what. Tara, are you a lefty? No. Oh. 
Am I using my left? Oh, I'm just like, <laughs> in case anyone didn't know, Chloe is a lefty. <laughs> she uses her left hand. On. <laughs> Does that um, come into like fitness stuff? Like when you're showing people exercises, are you like, I'm for the lefties or is that not really? Well, like it's a- usually, so I've taken like a couple of group fitness classes in my day. And mm. when it comes to boxing, a few, a few just a couple. And <laughs> when it comes to like kickboxing or boxing classes, I'm always the odd one out. And mm. the instructor is always like, because they have to really. Mm-hmm. Oh, do we have yeah. any lefties in the house? And they just like pray <laughs> that there aren't any, you know, <laughs> and it's like I'm the only one who like raises her hand. And then they are just, oh my God. they just pause. They're like, hmm, okay. And then I usually just say, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'll just do a right hand. Like, I'll just punch with the right. It's totally cool. <laughs> like, oh, man. <laughs> it's sad that you're the one that has to be like, I'll figure it out. Oh, it, you like, know. I'll it's the sto- story on. of all lefties' lives, though, because notebooks are just awful for us. Binders are just a whole other thing. Ooh. Like, you literally have to Binders. take the paper out and, like, put it on the other side so that about your that. hand doesn't jam into the rings. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's a so lot. Things that- your ink smudges—that is the like epitome of oh, a lefty's <laughs> like notebook. It's like looking like at writing the wrong ink. way, <laughs> or not the wrong way, but the other way. Yeah. Life of oh a lefty. Life of a lefty. <laughs> so we we gave a little intro for you um, about you Aww. early earlier, so people That's know so that nice. you're a singer songwriter. When I was really little, I was you know singing all the time. My parents were getting really annoyed just around the house. And then when I started doing it in school, probably when I was like seven or eight years old, um, I had a music teacher that like really believed in me. And she was like, let's, you know, give you some solos, see what you can do. And then she started like entering me into little like competitions around the state of New Jersey and mm-hmm. Delaware and Philadelphia. We call that the, the tri-state area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was like in, you know, girls choirs and all that kind of stuff from the time I was pretty young. With musical theater, the fact that you have to act, dance, and sing, I've always been curious Mm. for that level of endurance that's required for you to be moving across the stage and not be winded in singing. Is that Mm. just something that you, you cultivate and you work on on the stage? Or is that also something that they take into account afterwards where they say, you know, go on a run and sing the song that you have to sing? (laughs) I'm so glad you brought that up because that's exactly what happened to me. So really? I'll I'll use an anecdote to illustrate. In high school, I was Maria in The Sound of Music. So that like Julianne. Oh, you were Z. So I was doing this song and there's a song called I Have Confidence. And it's a hard song to sing mm-hmm. in general. And it's pretty high and mm-hmm. she's belting most of it. And you have to like run around the stage in you know, whoever's choreographing it is like, you're running in a field, you're running to go get the Von Trapp kids, like you're excited. So I had to literally run like in the choreography and dance. And you have to do that weird jump thing where you like click your heels together, which I actually can't do that. Like they literally just told me to stop trying. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't do it. They were like, maybe we'll just leave that out. Um, But so I was trying to do that. And I was realizing as I was going that I was getting so winded. And like, I've been, I've been classically vocally trained, whatever that means my entire life since I was a little kid. So like 
all that really means for me is that breath was a super important part of what I was doing. And like my 80 year old vocal teacher used to like hammer into me that like your diaphragm is really important. You have to support, you have to take deep breaths. You have to open your mouth. All of that is key. Um, and so I was not the biggest like exerciser when I was younger. Like I was either yeah, dancing in musical theater or doing cheerleading or something, but like athleticism was not my thing. I was very uncoordinated. Um, so that was tricky, but I, I was told by my choreographer who would like, it was one of the first years that we had like a young woman choreographing it. And she was like, listen, like you gotta go to the gym or go on a run or something. Like it's really going to help you. It'll help like build that stamina. Um, so in the like dead winter of New Jersey, I started going on oh runs and like getting my body like used to that. And it was something I'd never done before. And I was like, this sucks. And then after a <laughs> while I started noticing like a genuine difference in my lung capacity and my ability to like hold the song. And then by the time showtime happened, like you get that adrenaline rush too. And that also makes it a lot easier. I even find that now when I'm playing shows that I'm like, I have a lot more breath than I did when I was rehearsing. Right. <laughs> Cause like adrenaline alone, I think will sometimes give you that extra push. But, um, I made it a point by the time I moved to LA to like make it a part of my routine to run or dance or something that was going to like get my cardio and breathing heavy enough that I was like challenging my lungs. I, I feel like with your story, I can really envision from start to finish you mm. literally being like, nah, this is not my thing. I'm not going to exercise. And then, oh, darn it. Okay, I'm doing this exercise. And then now on stage, like, this is what it was all for. Like, I'm built for this. <laughs> yeah. I'm built for this. That's so true. Because especially when you're told, I don't, I mean, you guys, I seem relatively athletic, but I was told as a young kid, like, you're not good at sports. This is not your thing. Like, you don't need to keep doing it. Like, even my parents, like, I would try a sport for a season because they wanted me to, like, try everything. And I was so bad that they were like, okay, like, maybe this is not your thing. <laughs> and instead of sort of, like, nurturing the idea that, like, extra practice or if you really love it, like, that can change something, I think I needed that push of, like, the exercise having to do with singing for me to then be like, okay, this is something I love. Mm. And now I look at that from like, again, I am no neuroscientist, but like that, like neuroplasticity view of like, oh, like it took me really enjoying the thing to then be like, all right, that was the motivation I needed to right. like have an emotional connection, a release, I don't know, of something in my brain that was like, okay, like we're going <laughs> to give her neurotransmitters that will make her want to do this. Um, and then, and then that was what allowed me to like get the motivation and then the like discipline and consistency to keep doing it, mm -hmm. knowing what could possibly be on the other side. We that have an episode of that with, we, with we, yes. a neuroscience specialist. Oh, really? Yeah, she, yes. she knows so the sorry. terms. I, I'm with you. I'm rocking with you. I'm just not going to try and butcher reiterating <laughs> oh, what she said. Oh, I should said. stop too. Um, <laughs> no, you actually did really. She said neuroplasticity. <laughs> yes. She said neurotransmitter. <laughs> I was like, okay, Tara. <laughs> Which neuroplasticity is what, Chloe? Neuroplasticity is basically your brain um, being able to, you being able to memorize and learn things and it being able to stick. And so as you get mm -hmm. older, your neuroplasticity declines. Interesting. So it's really important to keep learning things and keep, um, well, yeah, keep learning things. I, I'll just say that. Right. Um, 
to keep your neuroplasticity high. Like playing Sudoku and... <laughs> yeah, memory mm-hmm. games, Sudo- any like brain game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then like and for the normal... And they also say that like... Oh yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, Tara. I was just gonna say, they also say that like, because your neuroplasticity declines after age 25, if you're excited about something, like whether it's learning a new language or an instrument or whatever it is, like if you can create an emotional connection to the thing that is more likely to like carve a neural pathway for lack of a better phrase um, that will get it like Chloe was saying to stick versus like, if you're not that excited about it, you won't have the like chemical mm. release. Well, cause it's motivation, right? Right. Like yeah. if you're excited about something, all of those, like as Alicia, our neuroscience specialist says happy hormones happy hormones. <laughs> like the serotonin oh, like and the dopamine mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. like those turn on and those activate so and that happens with right. motivation because you're so excited about something would you say that you have an emotional connection to health now absolutely and when absolutely. did that tell us more yes tell us when, more. Did, when did that start <laughs> when did that fire off um it was it was definitely on the precipice of what I mentioned earlier about that idea of like, okay, if I can connect it to my art in some way that will make it more appealing to do. And like, I just wanted to say real quick before I tell my story, I hope that there are kids who now have either in schooling or parenting, just like some sort of way to know that they're not mutually exclusive. They can be blended. You can be like a jock and like the lead in the musical, like (laughs) both is fine. I definitely think that there was missed opportunity in athleticism for sure. Um, And it wasn't until, so I moved to Los Angeles when I was 16 from New Jersey. I had one friend who was already here singing, acting, doing the whole thing. And I was like, I want to be like him. Like, please, you know, let me go. And they were like, no, no, no. Like you can't do it. And we fought for like three or four months over it. My mom like came out to visit and sort of see it with me and kind of like have conversations with Tyler's mom, this friend, so she could like understand what it was all about. Um, and I finally somehow convinced them to let me stay here and like get a bank account and learn how to do my own laundry. And that was, <laughs> that was it. Um, and I finished high school here. Um, so by the time I got to LA and was sort of like settling in, I was noticing, I mean, there's a culture here right? Like there's definitely a fitness culture in LA for sure that didn't necessarily exist in my small town of rural South New Jersey. So I started seeing that more often. And, um, a bunch of my girlfriends at the time were going to millennium dance studio Mm -hmm. and they were really good dancers. It forced me to try to like, be like, okay, well, if I'm going to come out here and like, you know, really do the thing, like I need to like get in touch with my body and be better physically. Um, so I made it a point to like go to these classes and work on something that I wasn't necessarily good at, but I knew was like going to get me a good cardio workout. Um, and then the other thing I found that changed my life that I didn't have in South New Jersey was hiking like up a mountain. So I would go to Runyon like every day cause I lived on the studio city side of Runyon. Mm-hmm. So I would just go and like run downhill, which is really bad for your knees, but I was doing it anyway. And I did it with this idea of like keeping my lung capacity up for singing, like trying my best to sort of get in touch with my body, trying to like know that if I learned how to dance, that that could, you know, help me in my career. Um, Cause at the time when I moved to LA, I didn't really know who I was or what I was as a musician. Um, I just knew that I loved to sing and like, I I knew what genres I liked, but I didn't know what I really wanted to make. 
And I let a lot of people tell me what I should make. Like I had some pretty crazy managers and stuff over the years who were like, you know, you're the next Katy Perry or whatever. And so they would tell me like how to dress and how to sound and what producers to work with and, you know, what I should try writing about. And none of it ever felt super authentic, but a lot of that was dancing related because it was pop music. So like I would do shows at either like Six Flags or um, sometimes we would do these like little like smaller like malls and stuff like that where my friends and I would get up and just play shows and like I I had to like either I backup danced for my friend Tyler that I mentioned yes. earlier once um I was we so bad <laughs> I and then, and then I did like a little bit of my own choreography um and it was it was hard and it was a challenge but like I think it was the first time that I ever really felt in touch with my body physically enough and then I also started to see like the inklings of the mind body connection and how they're not two separate things. And it's just like we were saying earlier with like sports and athleticism, Mm -hmm. like they don't have to be mutually exclusive. I think I was told, especially being a creative my whole life that like, you know, your mind and your body are two completely different things. And that, you know, how you, because I would think like, oh yeah, I can kick a soccer ball really far. And then my body wouldn't physically execute it. So it'd be like, they're not, they're not the same. When in reality, like they're extremely interconnected. And if, had I given my body and my mind a little more of a chance to like work together, I probably could have made something happen. Um, and I'll, we can totally get into this, but like my mental health journey as well showed me the deep, interconnection between mind and body. And I think that made not just my like exercise routine, but my overall physical health and my, um, wellness practices and, um, nutrition was all like deeply affected by realizing how much my mind and my body were there to like both help me together rather than being like enemies of one another. Let's Let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's dig into it. (laughs) Absolutely. So I, I moved to LA at 16. I was pretty like, just sort of like navigating the motions, trying to like be a pop star in Los Angeles in the 2010s. And like, it was such an interesting, interesting time for me that like, I don't think I noticed how much of my like childhood mental health coping mechanisms came over with me into my like adolescence and adulthood. And I started to feel really anxious all the time. Um, And so I went to a therapist, my first, like, I'd been to therapy before when I was younger um, because my mom and I didn't get along so well. And so I tried to sort of like help bridge those gaps in the family, but I had never really been to therapy to like address my own stuff. Um, And so at 19, I like found a therapist that I could pay like Ten dollars a session because I was a poor, starving artist, and um, I went in and I told her I was like, "Hey, like, by the way, you know, sometimes when I get really anxious, like, I'll just sit in front of my mirror and I'll like pluck my eyebrows for like six hours, and I'll also like, re- even if there's no more hairs there, I'll like really make sure that like I'm going in and like checking really diligently to make sure there's like nothing left." Um, and sometimes like really harm my skin in the process. It's just a thing that I do when I get anxious. And she looked at me and she was like, oh, honey, like that's like a disorder. (laughs) That's an actual thing. Um, I can't treat that. 
So like, I'm going to send you to a psychiatrist. Your, your like, $10 therapist couldn't, couldn't, treat, couldn't help you treat that. <laughs> my $10 therapist. She was really she sweet. Was like, but yeah, she was like, this is above my pay grade. I think I'm going to have to refer out here. <laughs> this is not my expertise. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I was so confused. And at the time too, like she didn't diagnose me. So I didn't really know what was going on. Right. And crazily enough, um, it was right. It happened in like December, 2012. And in January, 2013 was what, like my first winter semester at Pepperdine. So it was like, right. As I was sort of, you know, beginning my, uh, school journey there. Got it. I forgot so, you transferred. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I transferred. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so I, I ended up seeing a psychiatrist while I was like in this first month of like huge transition and I was kind of freaking out. Um, and they were like, Oh, by the way. Okay. So yeah, you have trichotillomania it's called. Um, and you repeat dermatillomania. Absolutely. Trichotillomania and dermatillomania. Um, I call trichotillomania. I just call it trick. Okay. Like kind of like cutely named that in the larger BFRB community, which BFRB stands for body focused repetitive behaviors. Mm. And they're, um, usually in the, and again, like, you know, all this research is changing all the time. So they're not necessarily, you know, in the same category, but like right now in the DSM, um, nail biting, hair pulling and skin picking are like all in the same category. Um, and all the disorder really is, is sort of like, it's a normal human behavior taken to an extreme. So like, it's normal that we like, you know, pluck our eyebrows or like, you know, pop pimples, things like that, that are very like, like evolutionarily grooming based. Like nails sort and of nails like, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And nails keeping everything like, you know, short and the way it's supposed to, you know, be functional for eating, like whatever it is we're doing. Um, or in my case playing guitar, which I can never do if my nails are too long. <laughs> um, but so they told me I had, a hair pulling disorder and a skin picking disorder simultaneously. But the hair pulling was like much more prominent at the time. And they were like, okay, you know, the treatment for that is antidepressants. So we're going to put you on, you know, an antidepressant and monitor you and sort of like see how it goes. But they didn't really give me anything else to do. Like they had one thing that they told me to do, which was called HRT, which is habit reversal training, where they were like, if you can put your thumbs in between your like fists like this and hold them when you feel like you want to pull this stops you from pulling and my only and a lot of people have expressed criticism about HRT and I my problem with it even when I was that young was that like this just makes me feel tense like it makes me feel like I want to like hit something or which I never do I'm like I don't know like it makes me feel like I'm like ready to like (laughs) box or something and it's not relaxing me like it's just making me feel tense so I would go home and I would do that and it would just make me want to pull more because I was like, well, now I'm tense and like I can't. And also, I think I had a little bit of like a diagnosis crisis issue where like once you put a name to something and somebody tells you like, hey, this is your anxiety coping mechanism. Like when you get anxious, you pull your hair. Then I was like, oh, well, every time I'm anxious, I'm just going to pull my hair then and then I'll feel better. Like I didn't have a name for it before. So now that I had a name and like psychological reasoning, it almost made it easier for me to justify. Um, right, right, right. And I, yeah, which not everybody has that reaction. Um, but I think it like was sort of 
creating these false narratives mm-hmm. in my brain. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I hit it. I don't know how well I hit it, but I hit it with like makeup and, um, you know, filling, drawing in my eyebrows. And I mean, I look at pictures now too, of like, I just have like holes in my eyebrows and I'm like, I, I went out like that. Like, I don't know why I don't think people noticed. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was several more years, about seven years of me just hiding it and trying it different antidepressants, um, and just feeling like it made it worse. Like there was something about doing it or excuse me, about feeling like I wasn't, I wasn't dwelling on things anymore. Like the antidepressants never really like gave me more happy hormones, for example, even though I know that's what SSRIs do, but like it didn't, I wasn't happier and I wasn't sadder. I was just kind of a little bit number. Um, and everybody has a different reaction with antidepressants. And I want to preface anything else I continue to say with the fact that like everyone's mental health journey is different. Everyone's right. medication journey is different. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I feel like it's, it's nice and also, um, hopefully relatable to some to be able to like express truth about what I went through, but I know, you know, so many very close friends of mine who have an incredible medication journey or even worse than what I experienced. Like it's, it's just such a spectrum and everyone is so different and I am not here to like, you know, chastise medication or say that it's the wrong path. Um, what I will say for me is that I I just listened to the doctors and I didn't do any of my own research. Um, and I also didn't listen to my body. Like I kind of just was like, like every, you have to go in to get the prescription renewed. And every time they were just like, well, do you feel better? And I was like, not really, but I also don't feel any worse. And they were like, well, great. That means it's helping. So just keep going. Keep what would you it. say your yeah. body was was telling you? I have two questions from that. One with with yeah. the antidepressants. Do you think that that medication impacted your creativity and songwriting and where you're drawing inspiration and like your imagination? And then also two. The second question is, what was your body telling you that you didn't really know how to respond or listen to the way that you would because you're in sync with your body now? Totally. I think that my body, because I was a little bit more like level, my body was sending me subtle messages that I wasn't really receiving. So like if I didn't have super high highs or low lows, I was kind of always just like even keeled moving through life. Um, But then when I would experience something like a heartbreak or a family death or something like that. I never really felt like the depths that I knew I could feel. Um, and same thing with positive experiences. So like if something really good happened to me, it didn't feel all that exciting. Um, and in a weird way that like lack of message was a message. Like I think that noticing that like, but, and I did notice it. Like I did have an awareness of the fact that I was like, wow, like I'm not, I just got this amazing, job opportunity, or I just, you know, met some really incredible people or had a really amazing relationship experience and like none of it excited me. And also then, you know, when I would go through hard things, like none of it felt all that hard. Um, and I knew from just the 19 years I'd lived prior that that was not me. Like I, especially as a creative, I'm a pretty like deep, 
dealer. And hey. I, <laughs> so it impacted your creativity, I'm I'm assuming, and like what you were big time talking about. Because the depth yeah. of songwriting, I, I would think, is like hitting hitting those lows and writing those words. <laughs> totally. And it was so weird to have it suddenly. Well, because it didn't suddenly disappear. It was gradual. Like I, as I was diagnosed and all this was happening, I was also um, getting out of a terrible record deal that I never should have signed. Um, it took me like a year to get out of that. Um, entering college, deciding I was going to like take a break and study performance and film and try to like get my head somewhere else for a minute because I felt so burned by the music industry. Um, and then suddenly I was on antidepressants and none of that really mattered anymore. Like I was kind of, I was just numb to the fact that like, like I didn't even know I was missing music as much as I was, if that makes any sense. Like, I think it just sort of left my life a little bit. And then I deluded myself into thinking that like, well, maybe it's supposed to, like, maybe that's not what you were supposed to do and you need to like figure something else out. Um, and I, I was on antidepressants total for seven years and I really credit music itself for like reminding me that it's what I still loved. Like I started listening to some just like older artists like Emmylou Harris and Graham Parsons and some like old Dolly Parton. Cause at the time I was working for Sony and I was like cutting like old television shows with some of those people in them. And I would watch the performances. And it was one of the only times that I was actually like, I was like sitting in an edit bay and like crying. I was like, this is so beautiful. And like, <laughs> this is like really powerful. Um, and I wouldn't do that in the rest of my life when things would happen to me. So I was like, there's still like an attachment here. And it also reinvigorated my like original love from when I was a little kid listening to music with my dad of like folk music and rock music and like Southern rock and things that used to like get me really excited, um, started like re-emerging. Um, and I started realizing that I was like, okay, like once I leave college, if I'm going to re-enter the music industry, I want to do it my way. Like I, I don't want to, you know, like do what other people are telling me to do, or they think I should do based on my look or my age or anything. Like I'm going to sing and write the music that I want to. Um, and I want to work with the people that I want to and, you know, feel a sense of confidence in my ability to collaborate and co-write. Um, cause I, had felt so burned by that before that I was afraid to do it again and with like autonomy. But I will say that like the antidepressants made that really hard. Like I, I think something that could have taken a year or so to like re get excited about and start doing took like three or four years because I was so just like numbed out and checked out and kind of like, just literally going with the motions for so long. And my pulling had gotten so bad to the point where like I had holes in my face a lot. So I was afraid to go out. So mm -hmm. like I got a job where I was working from home so I didn't have to see anyone. Um, and I, I think a lot of this was like, it's not like I went like seeking that. It's just sort of like when those opportunities come, you take them because you think about those things and you're like, oh, well, if I don't ever have to leave my house, then no one will ever know what I'm doing. Um, and so I just spent and wasted, it's hard to say wasted. Cause I feel like I learned so much, but looking back, I feel like I, there was a lot of time that could have been better spent bettering myself 
instead of just digging myself further in the hole. However, I think I needed that because by the time I realized I was in the hole, I was, I was at rock bottom and it was February, 2019. I'll never forget. It's almost two years ago. Oh my God. I, I had just gotten off. I I told myself, I was like, I'm getting off the antidepressants. I want to see my body at neutral. Like again, and I had been on several of them at this point. I had tried a lot of them and I was like, no matter what, like, I just need to get off, just see. And I'd gotten off birth control. I'd been off birth control for about like two years at that point. I was like, I just want to see what my body is like with nothing, like none of the drugs. Um, and I want to know where I'm at from there. And I had the, for me, getting off of the antidepressants was pretty rough. Like I had what's called um, uh, serotonin discontinuation syndrome. So you get like little like brain zaps when you miss a dose or and or like are weaning off. So your dosage gets lower. Um, you get these like little buzzing sensations in your brain, but every once in a while, it's not that bad, but when it's happening all day, every day, like you just get pretty intense headaches and, um, it happens to like a certain portion of people who take antidepressants. Um, but I was just really not feeling that. And I, my pulling had gotten so much worse and I got to a point where like, I was just like all over my body. You could see evidence of like hair pulling and skin picking, which I had never really done before. It was pretty exclusive to my eyebrows. So the fact that I had like ventured out was getting scary. Um, and so I, I drove over to my parents' house. I was, I had just like finished pulling for like eight hours or something. And I had like not done any of my work that day and I was freaking out. Um, and they, you know, were trying to like calm me down. Um, and I just asked them, I was like, I need help. Like, either need to like go to rehab or (laughs) go to see a different doctor or like do something. And, and I say rehab because I had this dream of like being somewhere where I, somebody was watching me. So I physically couldn't pull even if I wanted to, which I had never really had before. And they were like, we can't do that. We can't afford that. Like, I don't, you know, know what you want from us, but like, we can't help you. And that was really hard to hear because you want in that moment for like your parents to be like, yeah, we got you and we'll help you through anything. And I think that they were just like, I've been doing it since I was nine years old and it like in the shadows sort of, but they kind of knew it was happening. And I think that they were just tired and like exhausted from, you know, almost a decade and a half of doing it. And they were like, we can't help you. Um, Did they see, did they think that it was some sort of an issue? Because you've been doing it since you were nine. Did they ever they think at, like, hmm, this seems off? Yeah, they didn't at the time. And I, the reason I say that is because meaning like when I was like nine to 16 and still living there, mm-hmm. um, one of the ways that it sort of like started for me was that um, my mom took me pretty young. I was in like fifth grade to get my eyebrows waxed for the first time. And then when the little hairs started growing in, she was like, hey, just so you know, like you can't really have any stray hairs. So you got to make sure you pluck those until we go back to get them waxed again. Like meaning your appearance is of utmost priority. Mm-hmm. So like don't slip on that. And I think that for me that created this like obsessive tendency to make sure they were all gone. She also would, which apparently happens more commonly than I realized, but like she would also like, if we had acne or something, she would like pop pimples for us or say like, you know, Hey, we need to go like take you to a dermatologist, whatever it was. And, um, that created, I think this sense that like 
your appearance is everything. And I, I, I don't know if I've said this publicly ever, but like I, I then somehow rebelliously in my teenageness turned that around to be like, oh, well, if I can screw up my appearance and I can do it on my own by, you know, overplucking my eyebrows or like doing something to my skin, whatever it is, like I'm somehow like defying your need for me to be perfect. Mm, yeah. During this time of the antidepressants for the past or like the the seven year journey that you had with that, were you simultaneously also exercising and starting to explore other avenues of taking your health into account? Or is that stuff that happened in, in 20, like from post 2019? Can I have a, a part B to that question? Um, <laughs> did the antidepressants have some sort of a, like, did, did that make you not want, did, did that like affect your health and some, like your physical health in some sort of way? Mm -hmm. Totally. So, and I was actually going to say that in relation to your question, Aaliyah, I, I was one of the people that gained weight on antidepressants. Um, not much, maybe like an extra, like 10 pounds or so than what I normally sit at now, um, as an adult, but it was enough to like, make me not like my body, which I think continued to sort of like propel my pulling cycle. Um, and also it, I don't think like as much as I, I wasn't like devoid of exercise, but it, it just wasn't really a part of my life. So if I like went on and, and it had been prior, which was really nice from like 16 to 19 or 16 to 20 ish. So like by the time I hit 27 and realized like, oh, wow, like I kind of spent the last year, seven years, like half exercising. Like I would, you know, every now and again, go on a hike if a friend asked me to or something like that. But I noticed a decrease in my lung capacity while singing. And um, I just didn't make it a priority. So like it, and I would always be like, Oh, well, I was working. I, you know, I worked 14 hours today. I don't have time to exercise. And like, I had a gym membership that I went like once every quarter. Like I, I just never, never took it seriously that whole time. There was a lot about my like physical routine that changed in terms of like incorporating, not only like changing my exercise lifestyle, but also changing my diet, um, changing mental health practices that like, it was a weird thing. By the time I got off the antidepressants, I genuinely felt like it was gradual, but a fog had lifted. And I was like, I can see the world now. And like, I can see my life. I can see all the things that I've been missing. I, you know, and I felt the pain of that for a while, but I was like, when my parents told me they couldn't help me, I was like, I'm going to do something about it. Um, and I made it a point to get a therapist, um, who like specifically treated trichotillomania, um, and knew a lot about the disorder and could help. So by the time I got to her, um, a few months later, she told me that one of the best things you can do with trichotillomania is, and sort of like, they treat it kind of like an addiction disorder is to have a list of all the things you can do before you pull. So like pulling is still an option, but like you want to do all these things and then you can pull. So I, one of the things that was on there, or excuse me, two of the things that were on there were, um, you have to run 15 minutes on an elliptical or you have to go for a walk. 
those were like one of the like 10 things I had to do. Others were like, you know, read a book or, you know, call a friend or something like that. Like anything you can do to get out of that space or play your guitar. Um, so I would, and the physical ones were at the top of the list. And there was a reason that and a cold shower was number three. The reason why is because she's like, you need to tire your nervous system out. Like you need to go on an elliptical and literally like and I just said elliptical because I liked it, but it could have been like a treadmill, anything like you need to go hard and fast, even though it's going to suck in your mind. Cause like meaning suck that you're not able to pull because you got to like get your heart rate up so high that it's not high from your anxiety. It's high from the exercise and you're literally supposed to tire yourself out mm -hmm. and then you don't feel as much of the anxiety anymore. Um, and then a cold shower was on there as well. Cause she's like, you're literally switching your, um, from your sympathetic to your parasympathetic nervous system by taking a cold shower. And you're like getting, cause I, the thing, the tricky thing about trichotillomania is that it, it feels like a drug. Like while you're doing it, you feel like you're, you're in it and you can't stop doing it. And it feels slightly euphoric. And you're like, I just want to like keep doing this thing, even though I know that it's bad for me. And it's hard to like get out of that headspace. Um, so anything you can do to like change that. And I, we called it my interference list, all the things I had to do before I could pull. So like interfere. Right. And that showed me how much one, I missed physically like moving my body and two, the endorphin rush, the way it tired me out, the way I got to like listen to music I liked while I worked out. Yeah. So about. Songs was like a really driving beat that I was like, okay, like I can, you know, run to this and feel good, feel sexy, feel motivated and like right. try to literally work it out. This experience and what you're talking about is that stuff that you you put in your music now and what impact do you want to have in your career at this point moving forward? Definitely. So I wrote a song recently um, that I am uh, so excited to finish um, called Mirror, Mirror. And it's about my relationship with the mirror and like how how rough that was and how we had this like strange symbiotic relationship. Um, but that big part of my therapy and getting healthy again was realizing that like, I, I need to have a different relationship with the mirror. Um, and it feels really good to express that in a song and to be able to even like talk with you guys and other mental health groups and like share these sorts of very vulnerable things publicly, because I think that more people are struggling with something similar to this than, than we even realize. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want my music to be able to like let people know as well that whether it's a relationship or something mental health related, that they're not alone. I love that. I and especially you being a performer, right? You are in the spotlight. You are in an, in, in an, uh, in an industry <laughs> that is so aesthetic you know, oriented, that's so like visually oriented, mm. that's so, you know, perfection oriented. So mm -hmm. the fact that you're creating a song and you being in that industry is just showing everyone that we all have issues. We all have, you know, things that we're combating and we're all human. So bravo. Oh, thank yes. You <laughs> yes. Thank really you for sharing that. your story with us. We, we yeah. really appreciate it. How can our listeners find you? Ooh, um, on all the social medias. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yes, <laughs> all the channels. Uh, yeah, I'm all the channels. Um, I'm uh, at Tara Kelly Music on 
all the things, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Thank we you. Love. Thank you. So. Okay, so last question here. Um, yes. This is what we ask all of our guests. Last question of the day. What is your definition of journey? Oh, what a good question. My definition of journey is long. It's a long <laughs> road. <laughs> it is a journey does not take overnight. A journey has like elements of adventure and excitement and road trip, but that it's not all smiles, that it's hard and there's confusing paths and it's difficult, but that the other side, like where you're going, you're going to keep reaching new other sides, like new other side of the mountain all the time. And then you're going to hit another mountain and be like, okay, I just got to keep going. Got to keep climbing new mountains. But the fact that I just conquered like six mountains, that's, that's pretty cool. I love that. Yes. Celebrate, celebrate Celebrating. the highs. Like yeah. We always say celebrate yes. them all. Amazing. Thank you so Thank you, Tara. much for sharing your story. Thank with you guys us. so much for having so me. So much love for you. Love you guys. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Continua Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our Continua experience or have any questions based on the topic of this episode, DM us on Instagram at the Continua.